Hello and welcome to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I'm the professor and my co-host is the DJ. How are you going, DJ? I'm going good. I'm going good. Every day it's getting colder and colder. Embrace it. <laughs> Embrace the cold. It's so I, I seriously cold. hate the heat. So the sooner <laughs> Snowpiercer happens. <laughs> well, you want a gigantic train <laughs> and railway tracks? No, I just want the cold. <laughs> Uh, Seriously, though, the uh, TV show is pretty good. The second season, I think, is better than the first. Yeah, the first gets bogged down with a uh, murder investigation while uh, it introduces okay. everything. Like, it spends a lot of time where one of the characters is investigating a murder as an excuse to go up and down the train and, and introduce you to all the elements. But I think the second season is much better. Are but both, anyway... Um, are, are both of the movies... Are, are both the series... Um the season's better than the movie or are they worse um so the movie's pretty straight up action the tv show is drama they follow the same basic plot though of the tale uprising okay cool do you have any uh favorite cold based media uh cl the closest i can think of at the moment is game of thrones but just come on <laughs> the, win the winter is coming meme i mean who could say no to that meme I like playing the long dark on cold nights. <laughs> it gets really immersive when your character is freezing to death at the same time you are. Even if freezing to death means more like 16 degrees by Brisbane temperatures. Seriously, as soon as it goes I'm below 20, everyone's got their polar fleece on. Oh yeah, oh yeah. At least our cold, our cold is not as bad as, like, let's say, Melbourne. Man, their cold can get very cold. Yeah. Or Canberra. Um, I lived in Canberra when it actually snowed on the ground. Only ever once, and only a light dusting, but that was cold. Oh. But anyway, we're uh, digressing a bit. Quite a bit. First up tonight, we have Disco Elysium and its rating saga. Uh, so, oh yeah, sorry, DJ? I was going to say, like, uh, so... I'm I'm not familiar with this game, like in the context of it. You know the story a lot more than I. Okay, do. yeah. So I haven't actually played very much of the game, but it came out a couple of years ago, I think 2019, and it ended up in a lot of top ten lists for different gamers. And uh, it was basically unrated because there's a bit of a loophole. It turns out in the Australian classification board system, if you release a game digital only and not on the consoles you can slip by the rating system. But earlier th this year, they submitted the final cut, which is a fully voice-acted uh, version with some expansions to the classification board, and were refused classification because of drug use. What drug? Um, a whole lot. I don't, um, don't know the full details of which drugs, but the classification board is very conservative and basically anything that presents drugs as a positive it gets refused classification now the thing is you can go and say this is pretend pixie dust drug and slip by that's what elder scrolls sorry fallout did yeah. fallout 3 had a drug called morphine they changed it to medex slipped right by <laughs> I mean, now, this only logic, seems to... Oh, sorry, go on. But, but then, by that logic, the pain, 
any uh, depictions of painkillers as a good uh, like in in Max Payne should uh, Max Payne should be deleted then because of painkillers being used as a positive in a sense. Are they real painkillers though? Ooh. That's the uh, the loophole there. So the other thing is though the classification board can be a bit uh, inconsistent. So in uh, Disco Elysium, you can use the drugs, even though you it might give you a boost to your stats, but it does give you negative effects. And the plot of it is, as I understand it, also about a character who is dealing with his drug ad- addiction and sort of coming to terms with it and his issues and working through it while also being a bit of a detective. I'm not 100% sure. I've tried to avoid spoilers because I it's a pretty heavily story-based game. But is you are... Li- sorry? Is it linear or just... Uh, no, it's sort of an RPG. Okay. And there's sort of like voices in your head from your different emotions. It's one that I, I need to play more of. I uh, didn't get a chance, so I wanted to play some of it before we talked about it, but I uh, didn't get a chance to get as much done as I'd hoped. So, yeah. Even in cases where your character has uses drugs and gets a positive benefit, but it also shows the negative downsides, it's not great. They don't don't allow it. And I think that's because they have a hold over there that video games are for kids. Oh yeah. It's at the end of the day, like it's the parents are the people that's my um that are gonna buy the games and it's and if you if they well, want no. to put like because the biggest demographics of gamers are old enough to buy their own games. Oh, yeah, yeah, I agree with you there. But then sometimes it's always the whole, okay, my kid wants me to buy this game, so I'll buy it for him, that kind of thing. Yeah, you know? and that's how you get kids with the, getting their hands on GTA. Yeah, and like nowadays I think it's uh, parents are doing the whole, oh, would somebody please think of the children? I... Don't think it's necessarily that. I think, like at this stage, millennials are having kids, and millennials grew up with games. Yeah. Like the oldest millennials are late thirties, early forties. It's you know a bit of a fuzzy line that millennial stretches from something like twenty-five to forty, depending on the exact definition. Yeah. yeah. But millennials are old enough to have kids and be going through this themselves and have played games and understand games. It's not the excuse that the adults don't understand the games anymore. Yeah. But our classification board is traditionally very conservative about games. It wasn't until just a few years ago that we actually had a R18 for games. We've had it for movies for decades. But it took a huge lobbying effort to get it for games. Oh man, I remember that that sorry saga as well. Like some of the politicians that were against it were just ver- had the most flimsiest of arguments on why yeah. they shouldn't be an R rating for the games, man. And there was, oh man, that was a that was a saga. <laughs> now the problem I have with their choice to ban any game that shows positive drug use is that, especially in the case of Disco Elysium, where it shows the negatives as well. I've got the the rating side up here. Uh, Breaking Bad, MA15. So you're not supposed to be able to get your hands on it unless you're over 15. It does feature a lot of violence, but the drug use would also really 
But then, but here's the problem with Breaking Bad, though. Breaking Bad, the entirety of the series was about drugs and how to make drugs, and, and the violence was a side effect of... Well, not, yeah, of, so yeah. it is showing the negatives, but it does also show positive moments with the drugs. Yeah. In yeah. particular, the one that comes to mind is um, near the beginning of the show, uh, Jesse and Jane getting high. I I thought that came across as a pretty... Um, pretty positive view even though a couple of episodes later or even might have been that episode or the next one jane sorry for the spoilers but it has been you know 10 years since that season came out uh jane dies from drug use and characters get hurt and killed but they do show positive effects even if the characters do get their moral dessert and not to mention the fact that it depends on the like with marijuana, for example, it's nowadays marijuana is just a uh, okay. You can get the um, in certain states in America, you can get this over the counter, like with medicinal marijuana. Like unlike Australia, we can't even you you can you can still get this at the corner alley, basically the corner of a dark 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 alley. Like we haven't even gotten to that level of yeah uh, drug acceptance. I think we're a few years away from marijuana acceptance here. Yeah. I think a lot of younger people accept it, even if they don't use it themselves. I think a lot of people accept it, but, you know, our government's pretty conservative when it comes to that sort of stuff. So it's had a bit of a happy ending. Disco Elysium appealed, and the final judgment does take into account that the game is showing the negative effects of drug use. But it's a, I think it's a shame that they, you know, they just have a blanket rule. They don't take the context of it into account. No. I think it's uh, one of the problems with our classification board. The problem with uh, um, with our classification board is it's more of the... They're trying to look at the view of how will it affect the consumer and will and it's always the fear of will the consumer copy the behaviours that were um, exhibited in the media itself. Like, let's say, for example, we always hear stories of Oh, people using uh, trying out shit that they saw in in, in Grand Theft Auto, that kind of thing. And then when that incident, when that said incident happens, you would get the outcry of, "Oh, why wasn't the classification board doing this? They should have put be more strict about it." Um, yeah, I don't think the problem is the classifications because the classifications are already designed so that children cannot get access to. The games. The problem is parents and friends and ch- older siblings who let the children get access to it. Oh yeah, yeah. And that, that uh, you said you put a great point about access. And I think the access has gotten um, more far-reaching in sense of okay, if I can't access it over the counter, like for a game. I could access it through other other means, like I can access it through a friend's computer, or I can access it through um, a torrenting, for example. Like the access has gone bigger. It is easier to access, but people, you know, people will work around a restriction if they're dedicated enough. Yeah, it's. I mean, I've done it myself. I'll be honest. I've played Hotline Miami too, which is refused classification in Australia because it features a sex scene which appears to be a rape scene, which itself is part of a in-universe film that's being made. 
But those games are known for being very brutal and graphic and and over the top. You know, they're the Quentin Tarantino of video games. Now, you can't get Hotline Miami 2 because of that sex scene. You can get Hotline Miami 1 because of the violence. Uh, But it is quite easy to work around the system and get a copy of it, even through a legitimate storefront. So apart from the loophole of publishing only on digital, even games that are published digital but are refused classification can be pulled from the storefront. So the examples I'm thinking of are Hotline Miami 2 and uh, Genital Jousting are the two, which are both very graphic games. And I completely understand their point about those two games. I don't understand about uh, Disco Elysium, but, you know, the original Disco Elysium was sold without being properly classified. The updated version went for classification and was refused classification. How often I think... do they up... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was, um, Yeah, I was going to say, how often do they update the rules for these things? Are they... Is it very often, or is it just... No, not really. Um... Like, it took years to get the R18 passed. Um, the the board itself consists of uh, five members who... Let me just check that. Okay, I just skimmed through and counted nine members uh, who are appointed for a period of four years. Now, I'll put a link in the, uh, in the show notes to the members of that. You'll note that only two of them... Uh, younger than middle age. Are you serious? Yeah, I don't think it's a representative uh, cross-section of of Australia. So, of the uh, people, all of them look elderly to me. Uh, 50, 60... I know that 50 is not quite elderly, but... <laughs> there's a lot of boomers on there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and here's another funny thing. The only one, there's only one person in that entire um, uh, board is a reg- is a gamer. <laughs> yeah, like, so they don't, they don't just judge games; they also judge movies and TV yeah. and all sorts of stuff. But I think um, I think I'm going to say a controversial thing. Please stab me if I'm being wrong. But I think they're a bunch of out-of-touch boomers who think games are for kids and don't understand that games can tell quality stories about controversial topics without advocating for people to go and do drugs. I'd be kind of digressing on this part, though. But, okay, question, question though, like, is this consequential in the big, in, in, on, the, on the big picture side of things when it comes to game development and whatnot? Not hugely. Australia is a pretty small uh, market. Disappointingly small. Uh, You know, we only have, what is it, 26, 27 million people. And the majority of people play games, but not enough of them care enough about games to, you know, fight for change. Whether it's about loot boxes or about, uh, about ratings. And the issue is... If a company decides that they can't, don't want to deal with the Australian regulations, they leave. There's just not that much money here. Australia's got a big, a big games industry, but not big enough to really draw in overseas investment. 
in terms of uh, pushing through games that might get banned. Yeah, I know, but I, I get. We, but then we do have op- there is potential though. Like, um, there wasn't one. When there are a couple of um companies uh from Australia, game companies from Australia, game development companies from Australia that made it though. Like, uh, if I recall, Blue Tongue Studios, for example. Yeah, I'm not talking about companies from Australia. I'm talking about companies from overseas who look at Australia and decide it's easier to not release here than it is to. Oh, 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 okay. Put up with okay. the uh the classification board okay uh yeah there were, i remember so, ea came to australia once yeah lots of companies do release games in australia and tone them down for the classification board but it's just not you know if they didn't if they didn't think they could make money in australia they wouldn't do it and the thing is you can't make that much money in australia compared to releasing in other countries that have classification boards made up of sensible people yeah so, because our classification board is so conservative, if a game is at risk of being refused classification, the developers just don't bother in a lot of cases. Sometimes they'll release a toned-down version uh, that was more popular in the past. It's happening less often now we have the R18, but we still don't have the mentality that the R18 rating was supposed to bring. The classification board still thinks games are for kids. Whereas the R18 rating was supposed to open up the the field to these games that are inappropriate for children. Do you reckon that's going to change because of COVID now, though? I don't think so. I think the only way we're going to see change in this is by getting more young people on the classification board. Well, the question would be, though, what's the criteria to enter into the classification board? Because I bet you it'd be... Politics. A Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you follow the same line of politics as the current government? If you do, sign in. <laughs> I mean, that's a possibility. I'm not not sure what the criteria are. But yeah. I also think a four-year term might be too long. And also that uh, you'll note that many of these people were reappointed. So I think the solution here is to reduce the terms. Maybe two years is fair. And then uh, solve the other issue by having a term limit. Because it won't stop you know, new boomers getting in, but it would help move them on. I think a, I'm not saying old people don't have anything to offer politically. Old people are people too. Old people deserve to have their views heard. But I think one of the problems we have in politics is that the old people aren't leaving room for the young people. And I think there's a lot of issues that are important to young people, but not old people. And we're not making progress on them because we don't have enough young people in politics. Of course, nobody wants to sit, nobody wants to sit bored in a, in a, in a, in an office going, ah, crap, another, another bill of, uh, another bill that will never affect my stat, my, my, uh, constituency. Oh, great. I mean, they all affect your constituency. Yeah, they do. If and the if if it hit, if it affects uh, how I put, sorry, um, they do, but the likelihood of that happening, like at this at this rate, like I just think of politics now as just a one big gigantic sewing circle. Who wants to who want to complain about who's got the be- who's got the um bigger uh bigger streets and who's got the larger number of sit- people in their street? Well. You know, each politician 
represents the same number of people in Australia. At least in the House of Representatives, the Senate is different. But in the uh, House of Reps, each politician has an electorate, and the goal of the electorate is to divide the country into equally sized chunks based on population. So, you know, your electorate in the city will cover a few blocks, maybe. But your electorate in the bush would cover a big chunk of the state. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, we're kind of digressing on... Uh, I don't think but... so. But... <laughs> but, uh, uh, okay, my question with, with, with this decision, do you reckon this will also set a precedent? Or it's kind of... We're kind of seeing it happen already. Um, I hope it does. I hope it brings the awareness to the um to the classification board that you know games aren't just for kids. I'd like to think that you know games are for everyone, but not every game is for every person. It's perfectly okay to not want to play Disco Elysium because of the drugs, or to not want to play um Hotline Miami because of the violence. But it bugs me that we have people who just don't seem to understand uh, the product they are reviewing and who have different standards for one product than they do for another product. I do understand the interactivity argument that things in games are higher impact because you interact with them, but I don't think it's that much of a difference to movies. So just as a uh, quick wrap-up to that, pick a movie or something that features drug use in a positive way, DJ. Oh, um... Uh, oh, there was, um, that Stanley Kubrick movie that, um, about the Vietnam War. Um, Full Metal actually, Jacket? No. Or is... Yeah, Full Metal, yeah, Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, that's one. Yeah, yeah. That has drugs in it? I, I I'll admit, did. I haven't seen it. Yeah. Uh, Full Metal Jacket. Okay, that's R18. Um, so not the best option for my argument. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. How, how about, um, um, the se- the predator the, the predator sequel um predator predator two has a lot uh, a lot of a lot of uh, cocaine in it people were coked up and stuff and yeah uh the predator two uh videotape is rated M oddly enough that must be a different thing to uh, the predator two film yeah. as presented on in the cinema because that's rated R eighteen yeah pre- I yeah, could dig predator- into that deeper but uh, you know, I actually was thinking about examples the other night, and now I've forgotten most of them. <laughs> uh, but I think Breaking Bad is a close neighbor to Disco Elysium, because both feature drug use that shows a positive result, and then comes back to bite the drug user later. Okay. So, wh- did they say? Did they explain like what made them not ex- see that point of view in the first place instead of no? Oh, okay. Their statement doesn't really mention that from what I've seen. It's, uh, yeah, uh, I think the backlash was what really pushed them to do it. The Disco Elysium people applied for a review, but the backlash is what got them to listen because it was all over the uh, games media here. And that's in- that's also interesting as well. Like, it takes a lot of backlash and fanfare to just to, to make them go make the um the review people to go okay we, we screwed up let's uh let's have a look at it again like i kind of it's kind of weird yeah especially since um 
you know, even from the start of the game, I got the feeling, not far into it, but I got the feeling that your character is, you know, really at the end of his rope. He He's a drug addict. Uh, he's been using drugs for years. He's really messed up inside. Um, and, you know, I do also think it's a bit silly that using a real drug name gets you banned, but you can loophole it by using fake drug names. I mean, even Left 4 Dead 2, which was famously banned originally and uh, toned down in the Australian release by taking away dismemberment and burning bodies. So if you throw a Molotov in the Australian release of Left 4 Dead, you can get a patch to fix it now. There was an unofficial patch available for years, but when the R18 rating came through, they appealed it and got a patch available so you know it's a choice if you want to, to see the gore or not um and you can sort of tweak the code as well if i recall yeah before the official patch came out there was a tweak that let you turn it on turn it on manually but uh you know it is quite a gory game you're dismembering zombies you're setting them on fire and both of those were removed so you're killing the zombies you're burning them but you're not seeing the flames or the body parts falling off but you also have drugs in it. There's the the pills and the... Um, I think there's the injector as well. Now, neither of them are named as particular... Yeah, there's the adrenaline injector. But neither of them are named as, like, real-world drugs. And they slip through, even though they're drugs that give you a positive benefit with no real downside. The only downside is that the effect wears off. It. Um, so how did that get through when... A game pointing out that drugs are bad doesn't. It's. I've it uh, uh, just seen something I didn't know, and I um, just noticed something. Also, we right. have a classification review board, which is a separate body to the classification board. Ah. And the review board is a separate body who review games that, well, media that appeals. So in this case, uh, yeah, they reviewed it because Disco Elysium devs uh, appealed the the ban. So I don't think it should have ever been banned to begin with. I think it should have just gone to R18 to begin with. But, you know, our classification board is very conservative and all of that. Yeah, I, I, I agree that our classification board is conservative. I, yeah, the problem is, with, I, I reckon the classification board, I think they... Sh- while I kind of agree with the whole conservatism thing, I just think there should be more room to, um, there should be more room in t- in terms of be more liberal. Yeah. Now, I it's been a few years since I researched it, but it used to be that the process was you'd show the most impactful content in your product to the board, and they'd make a decision. Yeah. I think. Um, I think. An improvement to that, assuming there's been no changes since I learned about it in uni a few years ago, uh, would be, um, sorry, that's my train of thought, would be an impact statement of some sort where the developers can make an argument for why their game deserves to be given an exception. But we have talked about this for quite a while now, and I missed my segue earlier about doing drugs for longer life. Would you do drugs for longer life? It was marijuana? Yes. <laughs> Would you do tapeworms for longer life? Yeah, n- no. 
Ew, isn't tapeworms bad for your health? Uh, yes. Then but no. what if the tapeworm meant that you got to lie around all day while people fed you? <laughs> I'm going yeah. somewhere with this. I am going somewhere with this. <laughs> people feeding me while a tapeworm is biting my ass. <laughs> well, the tapeworm eats the food that you eat. Oh, oh okay, yeah. Um, okay, yeah, right, okay, sh- possibly. What if you were also an ant? Um, I wouldn't like it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> as strong as ants are, I wouldn't like being try. I would, I would hate to be squashed at. <laughs> okay, so there's a species of ant, the Temnophorax ant, which lives in Germany, uh, apparently living in hollowed out acorns, and... This parasite has an interesting life cycle. It infects the ants. The ants are eaten by birds. The birds defecate uh, tapeworm eggs. And the tapeworm eggs, well, the bird poo is then fed to the uh, Temnophorax larvae, where it infests the ants and then, you know, cycles around. So this tapeworm gives the worker ants a lifespan of about as long as a colony's queen, and the ants also don't seem to age. (laughs) Oh man, that must be awesome. So, they're not aging. They're lying around all day being fed, and (laughs) all the tapeworm expects is to eat what they eat, and then eventually have the ant go out and get eaten by a bird. And survive. Yeah. Well, I don't know if the tapeworm survives being eaten by the bird, but... The uh, now the problem. It's an interesting case of parasitism because most parasites infect one creature and make it sick. Yeah. In this case, they're infecting a creature and giving it better health, but making the colony sick. <laughs> In this case, the uh, infected ants are using up resources that would normally go to the queen. So the other ants are working harder. The queen dies earlier, and. The tapeworm has somehow figured out how to manipulate the ant behavior. But then, if if the colony dies and the ants and the infected ant still survive, the infected ant survives. Wouldn't the tapeworm move to another colony and pa- and um to force the immortal ant, as I would like to say, um to move to a different colony? Do the whole thing? um depends on the kind of ants. Some ants are very territorial. I mean, this is a this, this would be a cool uh, cool idea to the fa- to finding the fountain of youth. It is. I mean, you still die eventually, but you get looked after and get to be eternally young until you do. <laughs> it does kind of make me wonder what um what could balance out human aging like that, and what the mechanism is that's keeping the ant alive. Like, do the ants telomeres still shorten? Can the ants get cancer from living so much longer than normal? It's um a lot of interesting questions that the, the article just doesn't go into. Yeah. Okay, here's a question for you, Professor. Which one would you rather have, immortality or eternal youth? Um, I think eternal youth, because immortality without eternal youth, you're eventually going to get get old and not be able to enjoy your life. Like, we already see it today. People get to around 80, and at that point, their bodies are 
generally worn out. They need joint replacements. Um, their organs begin to slow down. So I think immortal life, you'd maybe get another, you know, 30 or 40 years and become the oldest person who ever lived. Like, you know, occasionally you get someone who lives to 120, but your body isn't going to hold up. So you're not going to, not saying that they, people who live very long lives have bad lives, but you're going to get to a point where your body can't hold up to doing anything. Oh, yeah. And you'll be trapped in this decaying body, unable to die. So with this tapeworm stuck into the um, stuck into the ant, would you say that the ant is technically alive or is it dead? And it's just a zombie? It's alive. It, well, I'd say it's alive. I mean, the ant itself is alive. It's fed. It shows all the signs of life. It is a drain on resources, but it doesn't, um, apart from, uh, that's, um, I don't think this is an argument we can make, actually, because ants <laughs> aren't conscious, <laughs> ants aren't uh, conscious in the way that we think of consciousness. Like, you think of a zombie as, you know, a brainless human or creature who just devours and uncontrollably devours things uh in this case ants have a different kind of consciousness they are more akin to a hive mind so i don't know that ants actually have enough uh individual executive function that you could call them zombies because when you you know when you zombify an ant it's just going to play out the motions it doesn't become a brainless creature they're also quite simple in terms of their actual cognitive ability. Uh, an individual ant isn't that smart as I understand it. So I don't know if the ants themselves would be able to comprehend that they're losing, you know, losing control. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I think I get okay. it. Yeah. Imagine applying this in the human, the human field. Oh, that's going to be fun. I can imagine makeup companies cut um saying new revlon anti-aging cream this aging cream is made from tapeworms lots you know lots. back yeah? in the 20s tapeworms were sold as a weight loss pill no way yeah because <laughs> tapeworms live off the food that you're eating so a person infested with tapeworms can eat a lot of food but still lose weight because they're not absorbing the food the tapeworms getting to at first so yeah, and you can find advertisements on the internet for tapeworm weight loss pills. Oh, no. You'd eat must... a tapeworm pill, the tapeworm would live in you for a few months, and then you'd go and get it taken care of later. I okay. think that's not recommended anymore, because it turns out tapeworm larvae gets into your uh, tissues and can infest your organs and muscles. And Yeah, there's actually a thing called a tapeworm diet, and I'm looking it up here. I'll put this on the show notes. So when a tapeworm hatches and attaches itself to your intestine, it begins to feed off your body's nutrients and grow by reproducing from the progalotoids. Uh, progalotoids are what make up the chain-looking body of the of the tapeworm. One of the biggest dangers you risk with the tapeworm is that you can't control where it attaches itself. The tapeworm can attach itself to other organs or tissues outside the digestive tract and can cause serious damage. When it happens, it's called an invasive infection, and it can cause symptoms like diarrhea, pain in the abdomen, nausea, feeling of weakness, and fever. 
And there are complications such as blockage of bile ducts, appendix and pancreatic duct, neurocystic cirrhosis, a complication of the brain and nerve system that can cause dementia and vision issues, and disruption of vital function organs. Of, yeah, yeah. Of function of so it can really mess you up. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, moving along to other seemingly immortal things. <laughs> well, DC's been around for a bloody long time now. Oh yeah, it's been around. So mm. what have you got to tell us about DC? So you've heard of the uh, story about AT&T having a plan to merge a Warner Media and HBO Max with Discovery, right? I have. Yeah. So that's happening, and a lot of companies are now shivering at what is going to happen to to their other to their companies, including DC Comics. So let me just run it down before before I run down what's DC's future of it. So it's coming down to this: AT and T is spending eighty five billion um to buy Time Warner, and it would like to get some back now. Well, forty three billion worth of it. And so AT&T have decided, okay, we're going to merge with Discovery uh, as, as, as the same attempt to streamline, rationalize, and find new audiences. So basically, they're, try- um, they're trying to be the new Netflix. Well, it sounds so, like every media company ever, because yeah. like this is uh, sort of the competitor to Disney's um, empire. Yeah, They're all under the same parent. I think there's a lot less diversity in the uh, in the media than outside of independent stuff than you think there is, because all of the big companies seem to come back to a couple of major uh, major firms. Yeah. So with Warner Media get um, getting to combine two of the, two of those competing areas and bring in HBO Max unscripted programming they've been lacking in, um, they. They're hoping that this will give Discovery a far more greater reach. Okay. And so the interesting other the interesting part about this is that Discovery CEO will be taking over um, Warner's CEO and be running in running whatever Warner Media multimedia that comes out from this um, meetings. DC is a teensy tiny aspect of that. So as part of uh, Warner Media, a company that's been devoted to uh, media. Uh, could be uh, DC Comics. Any change in ownership usually means a period of disruption, and DC's team had a way to, had way too much of that in the recent years with the with um with the blood with the so-called DC Comics bloodbath that happened um last year. Um, so with the regulatory approvals needed, they'll be looking at at least a year to negotiate the deal, put in new bosses, and maybe just maybe wonder what will happen to the comic book publisher they own. So the, the CEO of DC Comics is saying that the number that his number one priority is building up a relationship with the creative community, which uh, in theory it sounds nice, but it could mean anything from the way he's saying it. And he's also added that this new company will not stop until they have the number one global entertainment company reaching on every device. Okay, typical megacorp stuff. Yeah. Yeah. From what I'm seeing about uh, from this, I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to say that, oh, okay, we're gonna we, we're gonna try and be positive about this, but at the same time, we're gonna try and get rid of many jobs as possible. I mean, when you when when you have a merger, 
a lot of companies get very like get happy at the set get happy but at the same time get very nervous because they don't want their their in their um division to shut down yeah i think you know that's the case for any merger um yeah. it is and- for everyone who's going to lose their jobs in this uh i you know i'd like to hope that the job loss is minimal it's also possibly the case that the company uh well we don't know the exact details of the merger uh i'm not enough of a economic news follower to say whether the uh either company was in financial trouble before like uh, if the company shuts down the um everyone loses their jobs so this might end up being better for the you know 50 percent who make it yeah a lot of people are a lot of people are worried about this change though so they're saying that the company will just close dc comics and maybe license off the rights if they're lucky but yeah it's it, it could it, the, the, the case is though it's just that dc comics is just too small to to uh, to to be shut down in the first place but that being said though i know i Do mean, you mean small or big small small why would being a small division prevent it from being shut down um because uh, that bit um, it's more of the, the the division holds the licenses in a sense. Like DC Comics holds the Batman license, DC Comics holds the Superman license. Like, can you imagine? So it's not that the division is small, but you think um, the issue is that DC has all the licenses, yeah, and that they're farming that out to all of the other Warner Media media companies. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's how I that's how I would put it. Yeah. Hmm. It's yeah. interesting. I wonder how long it um I wonder how this is going to shake out in the end. I don't see a lot of change for the lower level people, but it does mean that there'll be a consolidation of, you know, all the Warner and Discovery stuff is probably going to end up on HBO Max if they don't rebrand that. What's going to be interesting about this entire entire saga is how much more people are going to be culled and who as who are going to be who's going to go where that's going to be the next bit as well like are they all yeah. going to go to the the marvel express or are they going to go to indie so it'll be it's going to be pretty sad this, this is a sad state of affairs for dc comics at this point i mean it it, it may it may at, at this point just be someone's someone's ledger book as a statistic at this point. and at, uh, if we see DC go down, it it would also cement a point that anime and manga are doing better than comic books. That's interesting. I wonder, I feel like that would be more mismanagement because um, they're not uh, really, like, they're all still comics and animation. Just one's made in Japan and one's made in the West. I yeah. think it's... Um, but uh, speaking of Japan, so sorry, um, I don't think it's that the market isn't there for comics and animation style media. I think the problem is would be more along the lines of mismanagement by the companies behind it. Oh yeah, yeah. Hmm. It's but it's... yes. Speaking of Japan, nice segue into your next topic. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, speaking of Japan, so there was a survey that came out. Uh... No, actually, not that came out. There was a survey that that was um, that happened a while ago, and uh, it was released today. Well, not yeah, it was released today, and it was released today. But you told me the results of it last week. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, I 
sorry, I, I messed it up again. <laughs> so they did a survey and the results came out a while back. And the survey title was, what would be the next Western-made live action of a Japanese anime to be released in Hollywood? Uh, this is going to be good. <laughs> and this was asking a thousand, pe- thousand people between ages of 10 to 69. Okay. So at number 10, uh, Hunter x Hunter, that was, which was chosen by 1.4% of respondents. Number 7. Th- actually, this is a tie for number 7. My Hero Academia, JoJo's Bizarre Adventures, and Slam Dunk. Uh, number 6. Detective Conan slash Case Closed which was chosen by 1.8%. Number five, Naruto, 2.4%. Number four, Jujutsu Kaisen. So this one is more of a head scratcher. A lot of the Conan cases are taken overseas, so filming on it would be a great sense of place. I said one supporter, but mainstream American audiences have famously had a difficult time reconciling with the series murder and violent crimes. So So Conan Detective, is that... Any relation to Conan the Barbarian? No, no. Okay. Conan, detective Conan is basically a story about how this famous detective, he's got, um, he was ambushed, one night was ambushed by a couple of guys and was fed the um, Fountain of Youth, basically. And that made him young. Uh-huh. So as a kid, he, as, as a young boy with an adult mind, basically, he can solve cases. So it's Sherlock Holmes with a kid. Okay, I'm just kind of disappointed that there's no uh, what is best in life to um, see your enemies go to jail. <laughs> oh, I can imagine a young Ar- if if they made it into a, a Conan the detective. Imagine Arnie Schwarzenegger voice in the kids. Just body. Arnie playing the the child, and everyone's like, "Aren't you a bit young?" And it's just you know Arnie who's like sixty now. <laughs> It'd be the most terrifying and cringeworthy thing I have ever seen. Oh, but um, but for but I uh, continue on. So me- meanwhile, Naruto and Jujutsu Kaisen, with their focus on superpowered ninjas and supernatural Tokyo high school students, have gotten most of their votes by uh, na- nature of Hollywood's large special effects budgets, making fans think that they would have awesome f- looking fight scenes. Well, then, uh, well, I hate to break it to you guys, uh, that wouldn't happen. <laughs> Depends who the director is. Yeah, I mean, the awesome-looking fight scenes, the last time we had awesome-looking fight scenes was, like, years ago. I mean, I, a while ago, I saw Wonder Woman uh, 1984, and the fight scenes for that one was just, uh, it was hilarious. You don't watch superhero movies for good fight scenes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, for the, um, other, for the... For the other group, the, the bottom down, it was basically uh, there was basically that the manga is ongoing and their prospective uh, fa- fantasy slash gl- uh, glow spanning settings mean the non-Japanese cast would un- not necessarily look out of place. And uh, one respondent said Hollywood's steady string of successful superhero comic adaptations would make it a good fit with overseas production company strength. I mean, I would like to see My Hero Academia done in the Marvel in, in the Marvel. <laughs> it would be pretty funny. Yeah. But uh yeah, Slam Dunk, okay. Slam Dunk, I th- I could I could see it happening as a live action. Okay. For those uh not for those curious about Slam Dunk. Uh Slam Dunk is basically a basketball anime. 
that's the basic gist of it. So I could see it happening in, in a um in in a Hollywood setting. I that'd be a good one to watch. But uh, moving along. So the t- now I revealed the top three. Number three, Attack on Titan. Now this one, uh, the, there was a Jap- there was a live action movie of this made but made in Japan, and it was in a lot of. Uh, they took a lot of creative liberties, Professor. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they took a lot of creative liberties, and uh, yeah, it wasn't really well received by fans okay. or viewers alike. Number two, Demon Slayer Kametsu no Yaiba. It's by six percent. So it's basically a sword wheeling anime. It's pretty popular at the moment, and fans are hungry for it. Um, now the number one spot. In what anime do you hope to get a live action Hollywood adaptation next? Is <laughs> no one, none of them by a whopping 45.6%. And the reason why they did what they said it was, what I love one, that. That's just such a burn. <laughs> I know. The reason for it was one viewer said, anime is fine as anime. And this was one respondent in the 10 to 19 bracket. A more mature participant in the 50s verbalized their worries as, if they make a series of Hollywood live-action version, I think it will destroy fans' dreams. And considering some of the Hollywood's past attempts, that's an understandable fear. And I agree with him on this one because Hollywood's, Hollywood have, have not done really well when it comes to anime adaptations. Like uh, a recent example would be Ghost in the Shell and how... The f- how much flack that that they got for that movie? I mean, it had yeah, a, it, not the only one. Yeah. Um. What was the other? F- there was, and there's also a flack for the recent Cowboy Bebop movie, which uh, it's not. It's while it's not out yet, there have been some details which are not really pleasing the fans of the series, such as uh, toning down Faye Valentine's dress to uh, to what was it? The other one. Um. Not making it into a space cowboy movie, but for but to something else. But yeah, and oh, and also the, with the Death Note movie that that was released on Netflix a while back, and how that one was not really true to the anime, but just they just cherry picked certain bits and pieces of it. Well, uh, what do you reckon, though, Professor, of the of of when you see this statistic? Um, I think Hollywood has disappointed anime fans. I think. People have really low expectations for major Hollywood studios creating uh, it, creating anime-derived work. Because by adapting it for a Western audience, they've somehow lost everything that made it good to begin with. Although, mind you, there are some there, there were some hidden gems, though. There's like, uh, for example, Alita Battle Angel. I don't know if you have seen that one. Uh, no, I haven't. That, uh, that was pretty well received, wasn't it? Yeah, that was pretty well received. But then, it even though it was well received, the box office didn't really do didn't yeah. really uh, hit much. Like yeah, I think the problem is the market isn't huge for like. Well, I mean, it's a big market, but they've messed up so many times that people don't believe in it. So the market for Western style anime adaptations is smaller, and they just um don't attract an audience because people expect them to be bad also uh, i i wanted to clarify one thing with uh, ghost in the shell um while it was it was okay it was not bad in terms of 
it was not bad in terms of the stuff, um, the uh, c- the cinematics and stuff. What was bad about it was how people say it was like, oh, you, are, you, you everything is wrong because you only casted um a, a person a, a different person for to play the lead role, even though the director of the original anime series said that, um, you know, you're just whinging about it. Yeah, but anyway, we uh, really need to move on. Sure. Um. Sure. So we'll have a short break and then be back with our nerdful things and our shout outs. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. DJ, what nerdful thing have you done this week? Okay, I have finally finished watching Jupiter's Legacy. Yeah, still upset about the daddy issues. Oh, it's still... Oh, yeah, it sucks. (laughs) Wait, language... Oh, th- sorry. <laughs> but I, I gotta say, man, it sucks. It sucks so badly. I mean, every episode, it was just... What's your rating? <laughs> um, bad. Um, as I said, everybody, everybody wants to have a have a melodrama moment in, in the entire series. Um, and the pacing of it is just not there. Like, it's, it goes back and forth, and it's, it throws you off at times. Like, the only okay. good... The only good thing about that series was the whole how did they re- how, how did they originally got into this position in the first place like the pro- like in the enti- in the entire series you you will you would get the now and then the flashback now flashback now flashback now flashback and yep. it kind of throws you off the loop cuz you're like wondering okay what I'm I'm cuz it kind of throws you off the loop basically okay Actually, I I'll give it a two point five out of five. The 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 only saving grace was the the flashback episodes were good, but even though they were long and drawn out, they were good. Yep, and I've been watching Love, Death, and Robots Volume Two. Ooh, how did that go? Um, it's not as good as the first one. It's got yeah. less than half the episodes, and none of them are as good as the uh, first season. There, yeah, uh, I had that too. Yeah, so you've finished it? Yeah, I finished it too, and yeah, I agree with you, man. It was just really, un- it felt underwhelming. Yeah. Really underwhelming. don't explore enough of the um, topic. I think the episodes might have been a bit shorter too. Um, all of them were, you know, 10 minutes max. Um, I think the first season might have been a few minutes longer, which, you know, on this sort of scale is decent percentage of the time. Uh, yeah, i give it maybe... Uh, yeah, so I've just put up one of the episodes from the first season. It's like 15 minutes long. Um, but it feels very safe. They didn't uh, didn't take any risks. Okay, another episode's only seven minutes long. Maybe there was more variance in the first season than I remember. Do you, uh, have, a favorite, do you have a favorite episode in the new one? In volume two, um, let's see. I'd go with either Pop Squad because it was very uh, cyberpunk and I enjoy cyberpunk. That's one about a, a cop whose job is to execute children because yeah. it's the 
you know the far future and people have the ability to live forever so you can't legally have kids because um it would overpopulation yeah uh that was my one of my favorites i also like the the drown giant which is more philosophical yeah that was i i kind of like that one um yeah so in that one a dead giant washes up on a beach and i like the sort of the philosophical aspect about how something that's utterly wondrous and people just get bored of it. I like how, um, what they did with the uh, Giants Privates, though. <laughs> <laughs> of course you would, DJ. I know, but uh, I like how, uh, what, uh, what was the author's description of it in the end? Like, they, that the circus threw it out or something like that? No, they um, had it on display. Um, kind of minor spoilers, but... They put his uh, the giant's willy on display and said it came from a whale, which interesting um, theory I read. Although I don't necessarily believe it myself because he does compare the people to the giant and says they look just alike. But um, interesting theory that the giant is an actual whale and it's uh, you know exploring how whales are. Big and majestic, but they wash up on the beach. People get excited for a couple of days and then get bored. But yeah, I agree with you. Like this, like this season, I I don't know. I mean, there, there's not much uh, good ones out there. Like the the Pop Squad was not bad. Yeah. Um, um, what's your favorite? My favorite. Ooh, mine would be the Santa Alien. Oh yeah, that was interesting. In in terms of how he. He just vomits out your present on Christmas Day. <laughs> yeah, interesting and a bit weird for a season of a show that came out in the middle of the year. But you know, have you seen? Um, okay, I got a question. But what did you thought about the one of the uh, they the um, human being falls off the train and they meet spirits in the long in the tall grass? Oh, that one. Um, yeah, um, that was good. Definitely leaning into the horror aspect there. Uh, I enjoyed it, actually. Not as much as I enjoyed the horror episodes from season one, though. So I think, yeah, maybe two, two and a half out of five. It's just really nowhere near the level of the first one. The first level had excellent action, excellent horror, excellent philosophy, a couple of flops. But this one felt very safe and mediocre. There were no... weren't pushing any boundaries. So for our shout-outs... On the 15th of May, China successfully landed their rover on Mars, and it is now driving around successfully. Yeah, and even the first, they even released the first pictures, if I recall. Yeah, so it's the second nation to deploy a rover on Mars, after the US, um, and it is called Zurong, named after the Chinese god of fire. So one could say, Zurongs can't make Mars right! Oh my eh? god. <laughs> eh? Eh? Come I on. will cancel this podcast if you ever say anything like that again. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> no, I'm enjoying that the space race is a thing again. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, so China is definitely going for the greatest hits. They've got a space station, a Mars rover. They want to launch a spacecraft to the edge of... Um, like They want to launch their own Voyager program. I don't care. It's science. It's cool. It would be nice if we were all working together, but you know, it can't be the way. <laughs> I think this. I think China's still mad at us. Well, they were banned from joining the ISS, 
So they said, we'll go make our own space station with blackjack and hookers. And better computers. <laughs> oh, yeah, they even announced a couple of hours ago that they've uh, that the rover has touched the red planet. So Nice. So it's begun, yeah, driving off the uh, landing pad. And on the 18th of May, we had the 20th anniversary of Shrek, one of the most memed of movies of 2001. <laughs> you ever saw it? Yeah, I loved it. Um, you know, I think the Shrek movies hold up surprisingly well for being, you know, early 2000s kids' movies. I don't think Ice Age has held up as well. Um, Monsters, Inc. is still good. Yeah. Gotta admit, though, that move, Shrek has blo- has blown up DreamWorks Studios to a it powerhouse. It has the advantage of not having the Uncanny Valley baby from um, from Ice Age, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad they ditched the humans for the sequels. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> and on the 22nd of May, we have another 20th anniversary. This one for Red Faction, the uh, original game in the f- franchise, which was groundbreaking for featuring the, um, they called it the Geomod engine, where you could use explosives to dig holes and blast through rock. And it was sort of the... One of the first um, games that allowed you to manipulate the terrain in, to that level. Unfortunately, the newer games don't do it as uh, as much. I think that's um, you know really killed the series. That we're used to Red Faction being this big uh, sandboxy sort of thing, and then yeah, um, Armageddon was it is a linear corridor shooter without anything near what we had before. So it lost what made it special. I think it. Um, Armageddon. Wait, Armageddon was. Um, I thought that. Yeah. Anyway, Red Faction Armageddon. That was the. Fi- yeah, that was the final one, and that was. Yeah. No, that was that. That one was a linear sh- open world game. It was a third person. Yeah, it was a third person shooter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. I'm. Th- yeah. I was thinking more of the. Uh, Red Faction Gorilla. That yeah, Gorilla's got too. great destruction. Yeah. Um. I also see here that a version of the game was produced for mobiles, which I expect had none of the uh, <laughs> destruction. You know, that's something I uh, someone pointed out on Reddit recently that I noticed. Games these days don't have different versions on different platforms. Like, yeah, I, I... up until the mid-late 2000s, um, lots of games had different, even j- different genres for different versions. So the first example that comes to mind for me, Aragon on PC is a action game. Aragon on uh, the DS is a um, sort of RPG thing. I think they also try. I, I think the um, was it a recent a recent um, Jim Henson property also has started doing the computer games thing as well. Yeah. Um, flipping hell, I I know what the what the property is. <laughs> But uh, they came out with uh, a PC game of which is a tactic. I think it's tactical. It uh, was a sequel. To, um, it was a sequel. Okay, but is this different on PC than it is on console or something? I think it that's is the point I'm making. I think it is different. I I gotta okay. find out. I gotta find out. But yeah, with the handheld console, because uh, Nintendo is the only one that really does that anymore, um, is powerful enough that games for it are basically just lower graphic settings than the PC version. There we go. I, I found it. It was the uh, Dark Crystal game, The Age of Resistance. Okay. Yeah, so there's uh, different uh, genres on different platforms? 
Uh, I'm seeing a, they said it's released on Mac and Windows. Uh, okay, uh, crap. It's, t- uh, nope, sorry. Okay. It's something else. My bad. Yeah, <laughs> you're bad. Uh, for our remembrance, we have on the 19th of May, 63, Walter Russell, an Impressionist American painter, sculptor, autodidact, and author. Uh, he's from the New Thought movement and wrote about science, but not in a way that would be taken seriously by scientists. <laughs> in 1921, he had a revelatory event that he wrote about in 1950. He said, during that period, I could perceive all motion and was aware of all things. I'm having a rough guess here, but I think he took. I think he went on a peyote uh, spirit, it, spirit run. And <laughs> it does kind of remind me of what I've heard about, yeah, hallucinogenics, like uh, LSD. He said, uh, it will be remembered that no one who has ever had the experience of illumination has been able to explain it. I deem it my duty to the world to tell of it. He also said that the cardinal error of science is shutting the creator out of his creation. He didn't believe in an anthropomorphic God, but said that God is the invisible, motionless, sexless, undivided, and unconditioned white magnetic light of mind, which centers all things. God is provable by laboratory methods. The locatable, motionless light, which man calls magnetism, is the light which God is. <laughs> Magnets are God. <laughs> so, uh, we've, we've, so we've got the the uh, the god the godly penguins, and now the godly magnets. <laughs> he died at ninety-two in Waynesboro, Virginia. And for our famous birthdays, or just one birthday this time, we have on the nineteenth of May, nineteen thirty-nine, Dick Scobie. He was uh, an American pilot, engineer, and astronaut, killed while piloting the, well, commanding the Shuttle Challenger in 86. Um, it's a very tragic disaster, that one. At his death, he was ranked a lieutenant colonel. At 68 seconds into the mission, the Capcom informed him to go at throttle up. He confirmed the call, and his last recorded words were his response, Roger, go at throttle up. The shuttle broke up at an altitude of 14.6 kilometers. Experts believe that most, if not all, the crew were alive and conscious until impact with the ocean. And the reason they think that is because the when they looked at the uh, the wreckage and examined the black box and so on, they identified that the um, the crew had been running through the emergency procedures. And uh, quite a emotional statement that his friend and uh, Robert Overmayer and who investigated the disaster said. I not only flew with Dick Scobie, we owned a plane together, and I knew, knew Scobie did everything he could to save his crew. Scobie fought for any and every edge to survive. He flew that ship without wings all the way down. He was born in Clee, Ellum, Washington. Yeah, one, what a brave person. Yeah. Uh, and for our events of interest, on the 19th of May, 1966, we have the release of the Navy vs. the Night Monsters. <laughs> During Operation Deep Freeze, a scientific expedition to Antarctica discovers unusual tree specimens. When they are shipped out for further study, they are introduced to a South Seas Navy base, soon revealing themselves to be killer acid-secreting monsters that live by night. And who 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 would think of these um, plots? <laughs> well, it was based on a book called The Monster from Earth's End. Kind of want to track that one down now. <laughs> uh, the cast and crew almost walked out when they learned the title. I like how um, what was it? One of the reviews of that movie was um, I, I gotta find it again. It, it was hilarious. 
Oh yeah, here we go. One of the reviews for that movie was uh one, look at the title. Two, examine the cast. Three, be aware of the plot involving omni- omnivorous trees. Four, don't say you won't warned. Lovely. <laughs> I feel like that's something that should have turned up on Mystery Science Theater. <laughs> Um, and for our last one, on the 19th of May, 1971, uh, funny coincidence that the that China landed there over this week, and Russia, it's also the anniversary of Russia's uh, Mars, um, Mars probe, Mars 2. Unfortunately, the Mars 2 lander was destroyed on uh, impact with Mars, but it was the first human-made object to reach the surface. So, DJ, do you have a... Uh, TNC podcast to tell us about. Uh, it's called Pop Violence, and it is a podcast that reviews movies, shows, and music that uh, interlace critical perspectives about violence, peace, and justice. Hosted by Timothy Rasmussen. Interesting. So, DJ, where can they find us? Um, they can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, that's not canon.com where we have an archive of our new episodes and old episodes and other that's not canon podcasts and you can also find us on youtube and hopefully twitch because we're going straight from this to trying to do a twitch stream nice yes it will be over by the time you uh hear this but let's hope it goes well that's all we have for today we'll uh See you next time. Look after yourself. Stay hydrated. And that's it. And that's all, all I have for today. Now it's time for me to chase some nice, nice zombie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.